Howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin' Podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 160 of the Huda Thunkin' Podcast, uh, titled Income Taxes. <laughs> you might be like, I don't know if I want to click on income taxes. Not something I like. Nobody likes income taxes. Uh, but it's just a short episode. The main topic is actually quite short. So the recommendation segment is a little bit longer because um, I <laughs> really this is like a puffed up recommendation segment with a shorter topic. Anyway, the recommendation segment is where I recommend you, the Huda Thunker, check out something that either I have experienced myself or I'm interested in. And sometimes it's related to the main topic. Sometimes it is not. This time it is not. The recommendation segment this week, I recommend you watch the 1998 classic Simon Birch. And I put the word classic with an asterisk because eh, not everybody likes this movie. However, almost everyone's seen it or heard about it. Um, it only has a 44% Rotten Tomatoes for critics and 77% from audiences of Rotten Tomatoes. So it's not all over beloved movie, you know? It's no Shawshank Redemption. Not everyone's like, damn, that's a good movie. But <laughs> it is memorable. It stars the kid from the first Jurassic Park movie, Joseph Mazzello. He was the kid that, um, he was the young kid in the first Jurassic Park that really liked the Raptors or whatever. And Ian Michael Smith, who plays the actual, the Simon Birch. It has Jim Carrey, Oliver Platt, and the forever babe, Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd, mm. One of my celebrity crushes. She's amazing. Here's the plot. Simon Birch, played by Ian Michael Smith, and Joe Wentworth, played by Joseph Mazzello, are boys who have a reputation for being oddballs. Joe never knew his father, and his mother, Rebecca, Ashley Judd, is keeping her lips sealed, no matter how much she he protests. Simon, meanwhile, <laughs> is a is an 11-year-old dwarf whose uh, outsized Outsized personality belies his small stature. Indeed, he often assails a local reverend, played by David Strathen, with thorny theological questions and joins Joe on his quest to find his biological father. So that's the plot. And the spoiler-free plot. The rest of my recommendation segment will have spoilers. So about 2, two minute 15 seconds in, jump all the way to like the 8-minute mark if you want to avoid spoilers. Um, all the way, because this is a long recommendation. Now, here we go. It's ha this movie has been out since 1998, so I don't feel bad if I spoil it for somebody. But anyway, and also I did give a spoiler alert. But if you want to watch Simon Birch without knowing how it ends, skip to the main event on the blog. Or for the audio people, skip to like the eight-minute mark. This movie is sad as hell. It It is hilariously traumatized me as a kid because of how tragic it is. Simon Birch dies at the end. <laughs> the main guy whom the movie is named after dies. This lovable, wisecracking philosopher who you grow to love throughout the movie, dies, leaving his lonely friend behind. It's sad as hell. and But that's not the most traumatizing part. No, far from it. Joe's mom, played by the lovely Ashley Judd, dies a horribly traumatic death. Throughout the entire movie, Simon has a crush on Joe's mom, played by Ashley Judd, and who wouldn't? Ashley Judd in the 90s, she's a 12. From 1 to 10, she's a 12. It is how she dies that is so shocking in my mind, my mind repressed the memory. So, <laughs> you see, there were just about four things that Simon Birch cared about in this movie. Being pissed off at God for being bored with, born with dwarfism and whatever other health complication he had. Something else. Um, his buddy Joe, he cared about. And Joe's hot mom and baseball. Those are the four things he liked. But because of Simon's condition, he can't play sports. He is too small and fragile. It's also why he thinks he will never get to be with a beautiful woman like Joe's mom. 
So he's 11 years old, and he's starting to get interested in women. Ashley Judd's there, so he's like, obviously, I mean, it's Ashley Judd. So he, he likes women, but he always gets rejected by any woman he ever talks to, any girl he talks to, because he's a dwarf. Uh, but not just, I mean, it's it's very pronounced dwarfism. He, you know, his spine's all, is like a question mark. He It doesn't look good. And that's the same reason he can't play sports. So they're all tied to the thing that he hates most about himself, his body. And this whole time he goes to the local reverend and he says, you know, if God's so great, why did he give me this piece of crap body and all that? That's, it's part of the movie. Well, towards the middle or the end of the movie, I can't remember exactly. There is a moment where Simon's reluctant baseball coach is forced to put Simon in the game. And the coach didn't want him to. But Simon's really good with words. He's a really smart kid, so he convinced him. But he's always on the sidelines. Well, one time the coach is like, well, I got to put all I got left is Simon. Get in there, kid. Simon goes up to the plate, <laughs> and the audience can tell just by the way that the, the cinematography, they're setting it up for Simon to actually hit a home run. It's not going to be a disappointing moment. I remember watching with such anticipation and excitement for the Simon, the underdog, to slug one out of the ballpark. The movie goes to slow motion. The pitch is thrown. The little... 11-year-old dwarf Simon Birch smacks the ball harder than anyone has ever hit a ball. It was epic. I remember, you know, dust flies. I remember my whole family watching this on VHS rental from Blockbuster at home, cheering for the little guy. But the cheers didn't last long. Because the first positive thing to happen in Simon Birch's life, this awesome home run he had been dreaming about for so long, turned out to not be a home run, but a foul ball. In the scene, it goes slow-mo. Simon hits it, dust flies everywhere, he smacks the thing, goes right up to the umpire, and you see the umpire say, foul ball. It went flying across the ball field, smacked Ashley Judd's character, Joe's mom's, Simon's crush, Simon's best friend's mom, right in the temple. She was dead. (laughs) She was dead. I couldn't comprehend a baseball killing someone. And, you know, Joe's mom isn't just his friend's mom or this hot lady. She's, like, really nice to Simon. Everyone else treats him like a gargoyle, this little dwarf gargoyle. Movies in the 90s are wild, I'm telling you. Everyone else is mean to him. Ashley Judd's really kind to him, and he kills her. I was, like, 10 when I watched this, and I was like, what? I looked at my dad, and I said, you can't die from a baseball, can you? And I don't know why I asked my dad. My mom's in the health department, you know, in the medical field. She goes, oh, yeah, blunt force trauma to the temple. You betcha you can die from that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was an unbelievable moment. I mentioned how I repressed this memory. Well, it came flooding back a few months ago when I saw a Facebook reel, a meme. There's, there was a trend going around in memes where they took the Mentos Freshmaker commercial theme music and played it over various scenes from movies and TV shows. Well, they did it to Simon Birch. <laughs> the whole the theme song is like do 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 ah anticipation it builds. That's Simon hitting the ball, seeing the umpire say it, see the ball go through the air. And then the reason why it became a trend is because the theme song's so extra. It goes do 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 as instrumental, and then it goes fresh makes better, fresh mentos freshness. And as soon as the song does that, fresh goes better. Simon's ball that he just hit smacks Ashley Judd the temple. Just perfect timing on this meme that I was watching. And I have a link on the blog if you want to click on it. It's hilarious. All that repressed memory. All my, you know, my my teenage love for Ashley Judd in the 90s. My uh, memory of watching Simon Birch being traumatized about it. Repressed. I'd forgotten about it for over a decade. I saw this meme and could not stop laughing. And it might not be that funny to someone who's never seen Simon Birch. It might not be that funny to someone has, but maybe wasn't traumatized by it. 
to I I was the perfect audience for this meme, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So I laughed so damn hard at that clip. I rewatched it so many times. I had to share with you guys the Huda Thunkers, and I thought it'd be a good recommendation segment. <laughs> it is definitely dark humor. That meme that comes from Simon Birch, but oh my gosh, I think it's comedy gold, nay, comedy diamond. So check it out. Okay, so that's that long recommendation segment. Hope you enjoyed. Now for the main event. Um, Everyone hates taxes. Even those who think they are a necessary evil who, you know, realize they're necessary evil when living in society and support them theoretically still don't enjoy paying them on a practical level. Like nobody, nobody sits down looks at their paycheck, looks at how much has come out in taxes and go, I'm glad. I'm glad I've lost that amount of money. <laughs> even though, even those people who are like, wow, taxes are, for, I mean, sure there's some people out there, they are for the greater good. I'm glad that, 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 you know, this is my part in society. They don't look at that number and like, wow, I'm glad I lost that. And some, some level they go, ah, son of a gun. There goes like 30% of my income. Anyway, so that's the, the sad truth about taxes. And I have some good quotes throughout this episode. They all tie into it, but here's one of them. The power of taxing people and their property is essential to the very existence of government. James Madison, fourth president of the United States of America. Taxes in America have a weird relationship, and they have for a while. Being overtaxed is the main reason America exists as an independent nation. Think about the Boston Tea Party. America's main source of revenue was import and export taxes, not income taxes. But the Amer- but America had a change of heart, unfortunately. Income taxes, uh, specifically, came from the late 1800s with the Civil War. The country was hit hard, and in 1861, that's when uh, uh, your good old boy Lincoln came up with the Revenue Act of 1861 uh, because of the Civil War. I mean, during war, it's a crisis. And the Revenue Act of 1861 was passed with the help of Lincoln administration. It made anyone with yearly income of of or over $800 uh, pay a flat tax. So not too bad, but at the time it was quite quite the big deal. In 1872, the Revenue Act of 1861 was rescinded though. So, okay, okay. The income tax wasn't uh, proportional to population and some found it contradicted the Constitution itself. So the government's right to charge the uh, these kinds of taxes was disputed by the people. You know, that's unheard of today. To see a government be granted a certain amount of power during a crisis, and when the crisis is over, have the government let go of that power and give it back to the people. Remarkable. Unheard of. Doesn't happen. But it did. In 1872, it did happen. Uh, They got rid of that Revenue Act of 1861. So cool. But that time period didn't last too long. In 1913, the 16th Amendment was passed. And like all amendments, it uh, is a bit too wordy for the common man such as myself. So let me give you the highlights. The Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. So that's the highlights. Basically, uh, the dirty 16th allowed the government to charge our income and didn't allow for any kind of loopholes in it. And it seems that this was sort of a, a Pandora's box moment. Uh, sure, Congress was re- has repealed amendments before, refer to Prohibition, the 18th Amendment, and the, basically the banning of alcohol, and the end of Prohibition, the 21st Amendment, which is a state holiday in Alaska, <laughs> which I love that. So some amendments, they're, they're not set in stone. They're, not, they're literally not set in stone, and they're not figuratively set in stone. We can 
rescind them, get rid of them. But no one on their right mind is predicting the government is going to give up all that sweet cash mo- cash money, that moolah, you know, they make off the backs of the working man uh, anytime soon. And honestly, you know, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I can see income tax making sense on certain things like celebrities, politicians, and any other profession we all collectively hate. I mean, who likes celebrities or politicians? But don't take away the income of those blue collar workers busting their asses all day long. Um, those roofers, those construction workers, stuff like that. But I understand you can't just tax some and not others. You know, that's it may sound good right away. Like, let's tax the politicians only. But you can't just target one group and not the other. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> it's it's either all or nothing. Otherwise, it opens the door for financial imposed prejudices, and that can get bad. And America does not have a great history with prejudice. So, <laughs> so moving on, I understand why we can't we can't tax some and not others. Um, but however, I, while it's all or nothing, I prefer the nothing other than the all taxing all of us. I prefer taxing none of us. But in uh, but here's another quote for you. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. That was Benjamin Franklin. Taxes and death go hand in hand, people. The 16th Amendment called for a 1% tax on people with incomes over three grand per year and a 6% tax on people with incomes over 500 grand per year. That's quite the difference. <laughs> three to 500 grand, three Gs to 500 Gs. That's, that's, that's a big difference. Those percentages pale in comparison to... Just a few years later in 1918, when income taxes, uh, when, yeah, incomes over 1 million per year were taxed 77%. 77%. Now, I get it. In 1918, being a millionaire was huge. If you're a millionaire in 1918, you've got, I mean, that's, that's so, being a millionaire now is pretty cool. In 1918, you were basically like a demigod. But 77%, I cannot even imagine. Can you guess? What would cause taxes to jump so much in so little time? What was happening in the world in 1918? Oh, just a little thing known as World War I, what was then known as the Great War, the war to end all wars. After the war in 1922, the top tax brackets were taxed uh, 58%, which is lower than 77, but still the majority, which is gross. The tax rate kept dropping until 1929, when the top bracket was taxed 24%, which is still a lot. I mean, 24% is, that's a lot of money, but much more manageable than 77%. That's disgusting. Uh, that's some, I don't, they probably pulled on their patriotism heartstrings, those cajillionaires, um, the equivalent of cajillionaires back in 1918 to be like, we need, you need 70% of your income, please. I, that's insane to me. Until, can you guess what started to happen not long after World War I? You may actually have gotten this one wrong. It wasn't World War II. Something happened in between there. In 1932, during the uh, the Great Depression, the top margins were taxed 63% again. So it went down to 24. Now we're all the way back up to 63. And this level of jumping around, from 1918, it was 77%. By 1929, it's down to 24. 1932, it's up to 63 again because the U.S. government and most of the world was reduced to that of beggars because of the stock market crash. So taxes are jumping all over the freaking place. It's nuts. Right after the Great Depression was World War II, an even bigger war than World War I. And you know the government wasn't going to let up on the income tax when they needed to kick the crap out of the Krauts on one side of the country and the Japs on the other. It wasn't until 1960, or until the 60s, the 1960s that is, when taxes started to drop again. You know, that's just where it is. Where, where there is death, there are taxes. Where there is suffering, such as the Great Depression, 
in times of war and in times of crisis, taxes go up and they spike. I do have a graph on the blog, the history of income taxes adjusted from inflation from 1913 to 2010. 1913 was the uh, 16th Amendment all the way up to 2010. And you see these huge spikes right around the time when uh, great wars and crises were happening. Crazy. Now, I said that you can't tax some and not others, right? Well, that isn't always the case. I mean, it isn't all fair. Some rules make taxes lower for certain people. The poor are taxed less than the rich. That's a pretty basic one. Most people know that. Um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, you know, that's that's a pretty common unfairness right there. But there are also tax breaks for college students because the government allowed student loans to screw us financially already. So they give us a little break with taxes. And parents are taxed less because they have the future of America to look after. On a basic level, these tax breaks make sense. It makes sense on some basic level to tax the rich more than the poor. The rich have more to give. The poor don't have as much to give. But when you look at it, when you get down to the nitty and gritty, the rich some are some people are rich because of their you know based off of the backs of slavery which isn't good other people are rich because they busted their ass and some people are poor because they're less fortunate and they had less opportunities growing up but also some people are poor because i'm going to say it and people aren't going to like it but it is true i'm not saying all some people are poor because they're lazy and they're unmotivated and that is the cold hard truth not all. I wouldn't even say the majority of people who are poor are that way because they're lazy, but some. We all know people who are lazy, and those people don't aren't crazy successful. So it's a mixed bag. It's super complicated. Um, like I said, some people are poor because they are unfortunate, and they they you know different racism comes into it. All different, so many different factors. It's incredibly complicated. But that's why these different breaks come into play to try to give more opportunity. Um, on a basic level, these tax breaks, these sort of loopholes make sense. The government is investing in the country's future by allowing those less fortunate or those trying to better themselves a little more, give them a little bit more wiggle room. It makes sense. On paper, it is a good move, but practically it doesn't always work out that way. Some people take advantage of it. There are concerns that these strategic tax breaks tax breaks, allow for unintended loopholes that make the system less fair. People worry that the current tax system favors the mega wealthy. Now, I'm not talking about your uncle who owns a boat and you think it's pretty cool and he works in sales. Um, no, that guy, that guy's, your uncle is probably paying out the, the wazoo in taxes himself because he's rich, but not too rich where he can afford all the greatest lawyers to get him out of it. No, I'm talking about the CEOs of giant monopolies somehow paying less taxes than your little old grandma. You know, reference, I have an article on the blog about loopholes that benefit the rich. They, they exist and they're disgusting. I think it is overall a good thing that our government isn't always run by the same people. Uh, you know, every time an administration changes, they tweak the system one way or another. They try to make this, maybe, maybe make it more fair this way or more, forth, more fair this way or whatever. They try to better it. Whether they, I mean, different sides of the aisle, they see things differently. Uh, but the, overall, they want to make the tax system more fair in some way or, or just to benefit everyone. You know, they increase economic growth, close loopholes such as with the alternative minimum tax to make the system more fair or influence some combination of the two. Um, but and that's that's great that the administration should be doing things to make the tax system more fair. But they always have people who are trying to get around it. Very powerful people, corporations, stuff like that. And so taxes are com complicated and unfair in many ways. That's just the way it goes. I remember adults bitching about taxes even when I was just a little kid. And, 
didn't know what the heck taxes even were at the time, but I remember them bitching before I even know what taxes meant. I remember the shit-eating grin on my papa's face, rest in peace, papa, when my mom told him I got my first paycheck for my first legitimate job, he smiled with a sinister smile, I'll never forget it, looked me right in the eye and said, a taxpayer, huh? Welcome to the club, Sonny. <laughs> Welcome to the club, Zebby. So, <laughs> I, I, taxes... They suck, but that's a one way to look at it. My papa had a good way of looking at it, like taxes suck, but we're all in it, and it's good that you're a taxpayer, you're not working under the table. But when you look back and you realize it, you, it could be worse when we look at the history of income taxes, don't get me wrong, I'm all in favor for our bloated government having less power. I say stick it to the man every chance you get. Work with your local, not your big corporation accountant, your local accountant, make sure that you aren't giving those bigwigs up over in Washington a penny more than you legally have to. But recognizing that things could be worse, like 77% income tax, uh, it does grant one a little bit more comfort of mind in the form of gratitude, you know, realizing it could be much worse. So yeah, that's my podcast about income tax and my recommendation segment about Simon Birch. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. Um, until next week, Huda Thunkers. Thanks for listening. 